0: googled, found nutritionists, found James Collier, who is now our co-founder, two weeks later he gave me the formula for Heal, which is pretty much identical to what we got today. Every supermarket's got food which is optimised for taste, and we're optimised for nutrition. The primary purpose of food is nutrition, it isn't taste, you can live without taste, you can live without any texture, but you can't live without nutrition, so it's quite bizarre how
1: everything in the food industry is all focused around taste. Today's guest is Julian Hearn, the founder of the powdered food product Huel. Huel is marketed as a super convenient, nutritionally complete meal replacement, and with sales of fourteen million pound last year and a projection for twenty nineteen at more than forty million, makes Huel one of Britain's fastest growing businesses. Full stop. Are those numbers still true, Julian? Well, we did fall to that close at the uh, in Jan. There we go. Already smashing through those targets. This is how current growth looks like. Before Huel, Julian worked in marketing, working with brands including Waitrose and House of Fraser, but tired of the commute, he set up a voucher business from home, famously telling his wife that if he couldn't match his salary in six months, he'd go back and get a real job. And that business eventually sold for more than $10 million. What does she think about that real job? What does she think about my real job? Yeah, the real job that you (laughs) left and did. (laughs) Was she all right with this decision? I think she, uh, looking back, she's very happy with that decision, yeah. Yeah, Okay. Uh, He said at the time, I had enough money to retire, but you get bored, and I needed something to stay busy. So his answer to staying busy was getting back into business. And after a few failed ventures, he eventually founded Huel. It hasn't been all plain sailing, though, with a number of road bumps along the way, which I'm sure we're going to find out about today, I hope. So without further ado, welcome, Julian. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. Now, Before we start and get into the real nitty-gritty, we've got a little quick fire round. So, office or gym? Gym. City or countryside?
0: Countryside? You're not sure? Mm, well, the countryside can be a little bit dull all the time. So, we do live out in the countryside, but yeah, I think I prefer that. City's too
1: busy. Yeah, okay. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Trapped on a desert island, you can bring three things. Your wife's already there. Phone. Charger. Solar panelled, obviously. <laughs> music device of some des- description oh you one of the only people in the world with a phone without a music device well, it's not very really good sound quality is it you want something oh, no. a little wonderful, yeah, like or something a sonos a solar powered sonos yeah indeed got you uh, who's the most inspirational person to you
0: oh my god um inspirational we went to fast track the other day Richard Branson uh, came on Skype he's pretty impressive
1: yeah
2: um, so, so was he on Necro Island? Was he skyping in from I don't
0: know because then he stopped halfway through. And he said, "I oh, sorry about it." There's a football match going on in the background, so I thought, well, I'm not sure Necro Island's Necker Island. got a football pitch, but
1: possibly he's got tennis
2: courts. he has got quite a few, has not it? Because he does he hosts that tennis tournament. Yeah,
1: uh, yes, yeah, so p- possibly, but probably not uh, not big football matches. I don't no. think. No. Well, the next question was entrepreneur you look up to. It sounds like he's the man. So what's a different one? It's strange. I don't think I look up to anybody
0: in particular. I think he's sort of there's lots and lots of people that do incredibly well, but. Um, top of my head i don't know steve jobs is obviously incredible what he what he achieved and
1: uh, the way he did it as well let's get cracking with the actual interview part we can understand a little bit about what motivates you you've mentioned marketing and brand is like the, the core of what excites you so take us back before Hill, so as I understand it, you were commuting from Aylesbury. Correct. Um, which, for all of you don't know, is just outside of London, an hour outside of London. Um, and did like your whole entrepreneurial journey starts just because you didn't want to do that commute? Yeah, it- basically.
0: Um, me and my wife were trying to have a baby, and uh, we'd had a few um, problems, a few miscarriages. So I wanted to be at home uh, with her. So I just realised that uh, doing three hours a day commute plus a you know a full day's work was not that attractive. Aylesbury is not exactly a hotbed of uh, startups or cool companies to work at, so. So there was no alternative. It is, now you're there. <laughs> it is now, but at the time there was no alternative in terms of a good job and good salary in their local area. So I thought, well, I need a way to work from home, and luckily I went to an affiliate uh, meet up, and there were some guys there who uh, were earning serious money working from home in their pajamas, and I just thought, if they can do it, why can't I do it?
1: And what was the answer?
0: I spent the next year learning the ropes uh, in the evenings and weekends. So I didn't just jack my job in and just jump straight into it. I took a a while to get confident because I had a mortgage to pay and uh, bills to pay. So I thought I need to work this out first before I just jump ship. And so spent yeah, evenings and weekends, come from work at 7 o'clock at night, have my dinner, then get on the computer, read, learn, practice till 10, 11 o'clock at night, go to bed, get up and do it again. Internet do- marketing for dubbies? Exactly. Exactly right. So literally just, you know, luckily I knew some some of it, but the affiliate marketing was a new world for me really. So I just sort of immersed myself in that, practiced, and uh, made a little bit of money on the way in that year. And then got to a stage where I thought, right, well, I know what I'm doing. I th- I'm making some money. I need to put more time into it. And that's when I said to my wife, right, I need to just go full-time this, jack my job and off I went.
1: What year was this? It would have been
0: 2007, I think.
1: Okay, so 2007, you've set up promotionalcodes.co.uk? Correct. Tell us about that. What was the, you know, as a brand and marketing guy, what was your, what was your original <laughs> pitch? How did you think about this? Was it literally just, you know... Um, a traffic game or did you try and put like a brand behind it what no, was your
0: vision for it there was no brand at all really it was literally just like I need to make some money what's the best way to make some money and in the affiliate world the biggest area at the time was voucher codes so I thought well, I'll go after that and uh, spent a long time looking at the other sites of how they were doing it and realised they'd missed, missed uh, um, an area which was that uh, there's three words that are used on checkouts it's either Pizza, voucher,
1: express <laughs> no, free <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: it's either voucher codes discount codes which was well covered by the other sites but nobody had gone after promotional codes which actually appeared on quite a lot of the checkouts so people searched for the word word they see on the checkout and lots of people hadn't gone after that word so that's why I registered that very sexy domain name and um, went after those and just started very small just going one page at a time whereas most people chucked up a, a site with like every merchant I stick every merchant on and just hope someone would land I just started with say five merchants and just sent links to those five pages so a page against another page from a bigger site can win just by links to that one site but if you've got 2,000 pages you've got to send a lot of links to it Did you learn to code uh, yourself or did you you, No code Do you outsource that or Correct yeah I found a guy that uh, interestingly enough I worked with him solid for three years and um, I never spoke to him uh, on the phone I never Skyped him never met him in person it was all done via email and Basecamp he was a a guy based out in Serbia.
1: Oh wow! And no problems.
0: No problems. His better. His English was better than me. He's written English.
1: <laughs> okay, but you know, you both understood. Uh, you know, point and click here. Exactly. Yeah, understood. Okay, so uh, what was the journey wrapping up for uh, you know promotional codes? You ended up selling it. Correct. How did that happen? Uh, about two years into the uh, the site,
0: I realised that uh, it was an SEO play. SEO. Uh, is great because it's free if you can get it to work, um, but it can be short-lived. You never really know what Google going to do. So if you base all your business on SEO, it's quite scary. So I started thinking, right, this is worth some money at the moment. If I can sell it now, I've got enough money to retire. And so I actually got onto Google, Googled how to sell a company and uh, looked around, found uh, this guy who's actually now one of our non-execs. And he helped me um, package the business up to sell it. It took about a year in total to get everything together. Uh, You know, he sorted all the legal side out, sorted the accounts out for me, stuff like that. And then he packaged it up, put it out, and uh, we eventually found an
2: American company who wanted
0: to buy it and sold it onto
2: them. Mm, I think a lot of founders find that challenging when they come to a point where they know they want to get out of their business. Or then they stop selling their own product and they think, how am I going to actually sell my business? And obviously, that's why bankers exist, I guess. But it's it's also psychologically quite difficult because all the way along your business, you've been you've been showing the passion about your business. To then go, I actually want out and I want to sell it. Yeah, the
0: lucky thing was I wasn't that passionate about it. I was passionate about making money. That was my objective was to make money. So it wasn't like a real, um, uh, you know, it's not different to Huel. Huel is something I really believe in. Yeah. Whereas this that that site was literally something to make money to solve a problem. So I wanted to work from home, and and that was the that was the goal. Uh, it wasn't to build a great brand or anything like that. It's literally, I need to solve this problem. How do I do it? So when I wanted to sell it, I was quite happy to sell for the right price.
1: So, you know, take take, uh, experience into someone who's had a a career in, um, you know, your everyday jobs like most of us. And then you've decided to go and do something because you couldn't be bothered to do the commute and you've successfully exited for, was it around $10 million? So at that point, is there no sort of, right, I'm going to retire, I'm going to sit on a yacht, because I can't buy a yacht with $10 million, but you can sit on one yeah. if you <laughs> wanted to. I'm sure you can buy some yachts for $10 million. Yeah, 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 possibly. But you can definitely sit on a yacht for that much. Yeah. So, you know, there was no no idea of just, you know, doing this, relaxing. Well, we had had a show by that stage. So um, we would spend a lot of time at home. If you've got young
0: children, you probably know exactly what it's like. They're very... Uh time-consuming you know in a positive way so you know you literally you know you put everything into those so me and my wife were at home uh you know I had a young boy and uh you know it was very nice but we did talk about going away we went on holidays and things like that we did spend a little bit of money we bought a house down on the coast spent a lot of time down there so we had uh, you know a good lifestyle but you know being at home with a young child all day long can get a little bit, you know, once you've watched children's TV for a few days, let alone a few months, can get a little bit not satisfying. Yep. So I wanted something else to do. So that the uh, I wanted something three days a week. I wanted to get that work, proper work-like balance. I didn't need to work. But I wanted to do something that was um, fulfilling and kept me a little bit busy. My dad at the time was about 75 years old and he was still working three days a week. And uh, the way he put it to me, he goes, well, if I'm not working, what am I going to do? You know, like he he, and I think I've got the same sort of mentality that, you know, working full hardcore seven days a week is not not the right thing to do. But just not working at all didn't feel like the right thing to do. You want to get that balance.
1: Give us an idea here. So the period of time between selling. And starting up the next thing, which as I understand, it wasn't actually successful. Yep. What was that time period? And also is it unusual for you, like a second question, so sorry, they're all coming out thick and fast now. Was it unusual for you to have gone from success and I guess the confidence that comes with that, that you know what you're doing to then starting something, I guess anything new you start, you don't really feel like you understand it. You know, you're going in cold and learning new things, but yep. you hadn't experienced failure yet. Yeah, I mean, the second business I started was something called um, Body Hack, and it was a
0: fitness comparison site, effectively. I had a thought a genius idea that uh, there's a lot of uh, internet information out there what to eat what to do exercise but nobody really knows which one's better than the other so the idea was we put them all into one big site and they could be directly compared and uh the way you do that is you put people through different fitness programs different meal plans and then you take all their measurements you take all the photographs, you could see which ones worked and the best ones would float to the top and you'd buy that program that was the idea of it so um spent i don't know six months on that and we launched, got some initial traction. We appeared on the homepage of Hacker News, got loads of traffic. Some people have signed up to program straight away. I thought, this is going to fly. And it was one of those classic ones. that You get the initial PR burst, and then it sort of dies away. And I started thinking, this is going to be hard graft because I was one of the guinea pigs for the first uh, programme. We've got five people to put through it, but it's really like time consuming to do. And you've got to get persuade people to follow something rigid for three months, you know, no going out, no drinking, you know, trying to
1: get it. So it was uh, this repeat- is like Rich's ideal lifestyle, basically, <laughs> you're describing though. <that. laughs> This is uh, the polyphasic sleeping, no eating, and just, uh, you know, don't, don't, do you think don't I, be why social. Do you,
2: why do you think I got Julian along? <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: So we was trying to get the, uh, you know, repeatable
0: results. And so to do that, you have to be very precise. So it's hard graph. The initial traction, I think that if I probably stuck with it, I probably could have made it work. So you could say it was a failure. But what, what happened was, when I started speaking to people, they said, right, I want those results, but I'm not going to do what you did. It was just too much hard work. You know, to, to I, was, I was cooking from scratch and wearing every bit of food that I ate, and it was three main meals and three snacks per day and you know guys who are at work goes I can't stop at 11 o'clock and cook an egg and 100 grams of broccoli I can't stop at lunchtime and cook 200 grams of turkey and uh, 200 grams of baby spinach some quinoa and they just said it's not practical you're you know that is somebody who doesn't work and at the time I wasn't working so it's fine for me so it made me think, right, okay, this could work. But even if we put all the effort in, I'm still only going to sell a small amount of programs and people are not going to be able to repeat the results because it's too difficult. So it made me think there must be a better way to do this. Protein shakes was what we were using in the afternoon and uh, super convenient, super easy to do. But you can't live off protein alone. So I thought, well, why can't we just put all the nutrients into a single product? It makes much, it makes life a lot easier and then people could repeat the results and so that's when I, I googled, found nutritionists, found James Collier who's now our co-founder, and uh, two weeks later he gave me the formula for Huel, which is pretty much identical to what we got today.
2: But you have you have iterated on it quite a bit because I think the <clears throat> version I lost was like v two point three or something like that. Correct. So what, what have you changed? Because uh, I think a lot of the early feedback was about taste. Was it or? Um, yes, I mean we have we have changed it. So some of it, most
0: of this is is tweaks rather than uh, okay. uh, massive changes so the original formula james gave me was six core ingredients plus a vip blend those six core ingredients which are oats flaxseed pea rice coconut and sunflower they're all the same six as it was originally uh so the vip blend is pretty similar as well but there's all been tweaks and changes it's like some it's micro adjustment slightly bigger than that but there's been changes the taste has changed we've brought our pre blends it's pretty similar though you know if you look back it's not wildly wildly different so that was the core learning really is that Something that's simple and convenient, and that's what I think has exploded, is that people want healthy, convenience food, whereas nearly every convenience food you currently eat is pretty low quality. Yeah. Or junk food has got stuff in there that shouldn't really be in there, or it's just got the wrong uh, macro and micronutrients. It just, just doesn't give you what you need. And uh, the sort of key thing that we've spot really is that every supermarket has got food which is optimised for taste, And we're optimised for nutrition. The primary purpose of food is nutrition. It isn't taste. You can live without taste. You can live without any texture. But you can't live without nutrition. So it's quite bizarre how everything in the food industry is all focused around taste.
1: Vanta automates up to 90% of the work for certifications like ISO 27001, SOC 2, GDPR, HIPAA, and more, getting you audit ready in weeks instead of months and saving you up to 85% of the cost. And as a special offer, our listeners get 20% off Vanta. Just head to vanta.com/secretleaders. That's v a n t a.com/secretleaders for 20% off. There's a link in the description. And just getting an insight into the company now. So, um, take us through the first year. We launched in 2015. I'd probably been working on it for about a year to eighteen
0: months, and this sort of key difference for us was that powders have been used in, say, the bodybuilding world for decades. We've been giving powdered food to our, our babies for decades as well, but for just a normal sort of Joe public, it was not used. You know, it's a novel type of thing, and that that was one of our key things. We didn't want to target the bodybuilding industry; they were well um, satisfied with what the products they already had, and um, so we just. We wanted to appeal to normal people who worked in an office, really, who didn't have that convenience, healthy food. You know, they had sandwiches or they had crisps and chocolate or they had toast or cereal. None of those things are particularly great for you. So we're trying to give them something different. That's why our packaging is quite different from um, what you'd see in the normal bodybuilding world, where they do a lot of call-outs on their packaging and and make sort of quite strong claims. We try to minimalise it right down, clean it right down, make it
2: simple um, and more universally acceptable. Yeah, if you haven't seen Huel's packaging, for anyone listening, it's it's the most clean-cut Apple-like kind of uh, food packaging ever. Obviously, that's been a really core focus of yours is the the brand, and you've built a really strong brand from that. Going from your last business where you just said that brand didn't really matter to this one, was that something that was quite daunting? And how did you kind of get, you know, launch the brand? Was that done in-house? Was that external? Coming up with all that? The starting
0: point really was I wanted to do something that I was... I liked, personally. So it was something that, uh, this was supposed to be a lifestyle business. This was not supposed to grow into what it's grown into. Yeah, the idea was keep me busy for three days a week. So basically I made a product for me. So when I started using, you know, when I made the product, I thought, I'm not that unusual, I don't think. So if I just should be able to find, find a thousand people who are similar to me in the country, and they pay £45 a month, £45,000 a month, it's half a million pounds a year business. Something to keep me interested, but in. it's something that I'm gonna do. I'm, going to, I'm not gonna sort of compromise on anything. I'm gonna make it exactly as I would. So I would wear the clothing, I would use the product, I want it to look the way I would want it. So it was made for me, really. That's what I wanted to do. So in terms of the actual uh, logo, I came up with a name, and then I think I went Does it on. stand
1: for Human Fuel? Correct. That's yeah. A good guess.
2: Yeah. Human Fuel. And- Did you know?
1: Yeah, I knew that. But you look really smart. I did, I did you look really, smart. No, I, I was, I was the one. No, no, no I'm actually quite pleased proud the fact of myself.
2: That you must be quite pleased. A brand works really well when he can kind of guess what it stands for based on the on it, and it's not. I be, mean, I know it's pretty
1: obvious. But yeah, still, it, it <laughs> took take, away, it took away my pride. That's for sure.
2: <laughs> it takes a very long time to come up with the right name, and so
0: I went through quite a few, and it. And, um, what, was, what was the worst name? Oh give give us some of the Soylanders.
1: The
0: Hoyland. <laughs> 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 uh, there was a lot, and then I went on Dribble, I think, oh, uh, yeah. to find a designer. And I thought I don't want to go to a you know a London branding agency, it's going to cost an absolute fortune. I'd already burnt some money on Body Hack, so I wanted to do it. You know, I wanted someone who could design. I wanted it to look really good. Um, so I found this freelance uh, designer on on um, Dribble, who was based in Turkey, I think. And uh, he did the uh, initial designs, already clean designs, already nice. Gave him a very simple thing. I just wanted it to be authentic. Wanted it to look, you know, clean, simple, minimal. And uh, when he came back with it, you know, there was uh, a few iterations, but basically he, he got it right first time. Yeah. And he did the original packaging for us as well and then we did a revision. We went to uh, the, the, the current packaging. So we did the same revision for that. And uh, that's basically the, the design. So we haven't changed it. You know, I wanted it to stick. You know, I don't, I, I think it's wrong to keep changing and chopping and changing your logos. So basically it's, it's the same one we've used since day one.
2: And, and then um, obviously you were saying you, you worked on this pre-launch for about 18 months. Was that just refining the product, no? No, it was basically trying to get the bloody thing made. It was
0: absolutely ridiculously difficult. We already had the formula pretty much um three months later you know I'd spoken to a lot of people but had no no real manufacturer lined up and then kept going kept going people let you down people don't get back to you they don't really want to do it a sort of lack of commitment eventually we found this big multinational to make it four months later uh you know I was all happy I thought it was done so this is nearly a year into it he, uh, he sent me an email said nah, no, I'm not going to do it I nearly gave up at that stage it could be so difficult. I thought, well, I've been out this a bloody year. I can't even make a powder that you can make in your kitchen in five minutes. You know, if you get these powders together, you can put them in there. The Vip blend is quite complicated, but to get that done, just put it all in and blend it. It's not, it doesn't seem like it's massively complicated. It's not like making, you know, an iPhone or something that yeah. is complicated. It's just um, pretty basic stuff. But the food industry, you know, even, you know, we're now four years after we've launched, we still have trouble with the food industry. They are slow don't really want to do new things. Um, one of the guys, we must have spoke to about 100, 100 plus manufacturers, um, spoke to one guy, eventually said, look, the reason why people don't want to, or uh, not helping you is because they don't really want to make new stuff because typically they get called all the time by new startups who want to start it, they've got bright ideas. Typically, they go nowhere. So they have to change their line. They have to uh, make this new product. They take a very small order. They put a load of time and effort into it, and then quite often there's no reorder. So they don't really want to do it and that's been the the, the problem ever since Uh, they're just, you know, they're factories they want to make stuff exactly the same every single time, just keep going reproducing, reproducing the same stuff to make something new they have to order new ingredients they might have to do new tests they might have to change their line they just don't want to do it that's what slowed the whole thing down is literally just getting thing made
1: Looking forward, or actually before we look forward, like just day to day like what is your interaction with the company currently you've got a new CEO in well not new anymore I suppose so what was the process of picking the CEO did you have you mentioned at the start you know the things you don't like doing you know we I heard even last night from David Buttress of Just Eat, you know, discussing the hardest thing as a CEO is sort of realising your own limitations and being humble enough to accept it at the right time for the best of the company. Did you go through um, like an almost tormented phase with yourself or was it just so obvious to you when you wanted to hire a CEO in? It was pretty obvious,
0: yeah. I was struggling. Um, My background is brand and marketing. So I think the key problem arose when I just realised I wasn't doing any of that anymore. So the stuff that I'm good at, I'm not actually getting to do because I'm too busy doing other stuff that I'm not good at. It just didn't make any sense. So I was really struggling. I was just spread, you spread yourself incredibly thin and uh, you just feel like you're not doing a good job at anything. And the stuff that I was good at, I couldn't hardly get to. I just had to leave for months and months, you know, you just, and so I struggled. Yeah, it's very clear that we needed, I needed some additional help. And um, so I went on LinkedIn. I don't use recruiters. I don't like them. I think they're very expensive. So we do all our recruitment in-house. And so I went on LinkedIn, searched for um, or looked around for some companies that I sort of thought were pretty good. I just wanted to see somebody with a bit of food experience because we didn't have anybody in-house really that worked in the food industry. And found James, who's now our um, CEO. And I did um, reach out or actually use somebody else to reach out and set up some interviews. And he came in and, yeah, really good guy.
1: Okay, it's 2019. Can you give me an idea of, um, you know, 2015, high-level numbers, 16, 17, you know, people, obviously revenue if you're comfortable doing it, or units sold. Like, it's really helpful for us to get an idea of that explosive journey. Because, again, it's not like you've created a product that's, you know, Um, a slightly different brand to what else was already on there. It's an explosive market disruptor in a real sense, as in it's a product that didn't really exist. Like we say, Soylent was in the US, very different kind of product. Yeah. This is creating a whole new category.
0: Yeah, we see it as a new category. We want to call that complete food. So our first year, we launched in June 2015. So the first six months, which is we our uh, year end is uh, January. So we did um, £750,000 in the first six months. The second year... In your first year? Yeah. Oh, first so you year. beat your own targets. Yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then we went to well, the first full year, but the second year, we did uh, 5.7. Then it was 14.1. Then it was 40. And this year, so Jan 2019 to Jan 2020, we're going to do 60 to 70.
1: Interesting. How, how do you um, view, and um, I guess forgive the nosy question, but it's my job, how do you view the difference between the, uh, the, the massive shift from, let's say, 15 to 40 and then 40 to 60? Is that really difficult and pressured? Because, you know, obviously there's two sides to this. One is you've got to grow the market. Um, which can only happen at a certain rate and there's also potentially at the point where Huel's concept is so new and exciting yeah. um, that is where I imagine that huge growth came from in I guess year three as yeah. probably the point at which maybe I was at like year two or three I, I think we were both drinking at the same time mm-hmm.
2: To think
1: he's a trend i think maybe rich was having it at first because too lazy to cook but the point being like you know that that is a, a point of huge mass awareness um and then the market starts to get a little bit saturated and difficult how do you find that sort of challenge of going from 40 to 60 and do you have like in your projections are you thinking about you know the market's obviously slowing because there's just less customers that necessarily fit into that category or I don't really know the answer i think I think the num-
0: the numbers get bigger and bigger you know we're doing we're doing in a month now we're doing more than what we did in a whole year so to keep beating your own numbers does get difficult it is um easy in the early days I suppose you've got the early adopters just come in people trying the product and it is a novel product compared to what the the mass majority would use so it's more. Um, early adopters and more innovators that are going to use this type of product. So and your you, you masters are called hooligans? Hooligans. And so they're, they're, we've got a very strong community, but there are, to- you know, it's a vegan product, which sometimes doesn't appeal to everybody. So there is, there is a certain niche of people that are interested in this type of thing.
1: Julian, I want to talk about something uh, slightly different. What is the cost of a huel meal in theory? Uh, I think the cheapest way to get it is about one £1.31. Without making you sound like you might solve world hunger, is there an angle here of, uh, you know, the cost of a meal per day, Um, you know, globally in areas where there is extreme poverty and you've created a product that is a food replacement and it's a full total nutrition at the moment? You know, it's people like Rich and I that you know typically having it. You know, you're you're busy. You you don't want to go without food. It's good to have you know a great level there. Yeah. But you're spending. We're spending one pound twenty two to make sure we're not skipping lunch or whatever. But like ultimately, obviously, there's people around the world that can't afford uh, to have meals per day or whatever. Is there? An angle of, uh, of, of philanthropy that you think you could go into with this? Possibly. We've Is been this asked... something you've discussed or considered?
0: Yeah, we, we've been asked about it many times. I think the way we're currently set up doesn't work for that type of thing because we're shipping quite a heavy product. We're making it in one of the most expensive parts of the world, then shipping a heavy product to possibly one of the poorest parts in the world doesn't currently make sense. You know, we've we've had people contact us for. We said, we're happy to, you know, tell you our formula, you know, the formula's on the back of the pack. We can help you do it. If you want to make it locally in, in a poorer part of the world, that'd be the way to do it rather than ship it from the UK and make it in
1: the UK. You need to buy the ingredients locally and, and make it that way. Interesting. It's interesting that other people have also uh, pointed this out, right? Because the cost of the product and uh, the cost of uh, what people actually make in other parts of the world as well. So it's fascinating. Potentially, your next business when you uh, get bored sitting on all the yachts that you've already bought, right? One thing we haven't quite fully touched on is actually you've grown incredibly, but
2: has it been all funded from your initial capital that you put in from your exit? Yeah.
0: So I put some money into Body Hack, which is company before Hule and then i put a little bit into Huel. so when i say sorry a little bit wasn't really a little bit probably a couple hundred thousand pounds in total yeah. so in body hack i burnt probably about 80 90 i think and then so therefore just yeah. over 100 into Huel in total put that in from day one never topped up so we just used off that we were profitable for the first uh three years that is incredible
1: oh so you're 100 percent owned by you and your business partner
0: no because we took investment last year oh, okay. ah. so um October last year, we took investment, put £20 million from Highland Europe, um, valued us at £220 million. Amazing. Amazing. And... Um, thank you. The reason we took that money is because... Um, I suppose we didn't need it, technically, but... Best time to take money when you don't need it, Correct, say. yeah, you can do a much better deal if you do that. You don't want to raise when you need money because they'll you're over a barrel, really, so you don't want to do that. So we made sure that we raised when we didn't actually need the money, and we've taken it because you just can't see the future. So it's a massive insurance policy. So if there's any problems, we can buy our way out of them. If there's any opportunities, we can buy our way into them. So it's, uh,
1: you know, money in the bank. <laughs> When when you pitch someone and and, and you're taking in a two hundred and twenty million valuation, obviously they're expecting an exit. That's all part of the story. Yeah. What is uh the story of exit that you told? I'm not sure we did pitch, to be honest. I'm not sure that it was quite that we did it
0: that way. We did do a deck. Um in terms of pitch, it was much more of a a general conversation. We didn't have to stand up and do formal presentations. The exit I'm not sure what we said about that, really. I think we just said, look, we, we can see how a path to get to a billion valuation, pounds. And it was pretty straightforward in that respect. I think they just saw the growth. The, the, the good thing is with uh, Highland Europe, we were first into their new fund. So arguably got a 10-year horizon on that. They're under no time pressure at all. We're therefore under no time pressure. But you know, we know they put some money in, so they're going to want to get some money out at some stage. We've also given share options to everybody in the business quite generous ones so those guys you know we've recruited sometimes on that share option they've you know, sort of said look come to, come and join us you're going to get a chunky number at the end um, so there needs to be an end point you know some sort of exit um, whether that's an IPO whether it's a trade sale we have decided
1: yet but we see that happening you know in roughly four years time Julian, take take us through a typical day to day for you nowadays. What, what what is it like? Are you doing a three day weeks like you always planned? No, I'm not it's doing on a three days week all the time. But I see, yeah. <laughs> I'm down to about four days a week now, so
0: it's uh, it's getting there, not quite there, three days. So I'm CMO, so my you know that's my background in marketing. So I spend all my time on on brand and marketing. But uh, the way I see marketing, where a lot of people use the word marketing and, and advertising interchangeably, advertising is one part of marketing. The way I see it is anything that connects with the customer. I should stick my nose into and see how it's going. So the, the beauty of that means is even though I'm not CEO, I can still argue that if say our um, operations are not working smoothly enough, say the, the delivery late, I can say, well, that's affecting the customer. I want that fixed. If the product's late and the manufacturer not right, then I can say, well, that's affecting the customer, get it fixed. So I'm still involved. You know, we've got a board meeting on Friday. we going to that and i'm i'm still heavily involved in everything keep an eye on everything but it just means that i can sort of give my opinion without actually having to go down to the minutest detail and follow it all the way through i can still say this needs to be done in a different way and then we've got a team now to make it happen and
1: also it makes sense right you are the you are the brand champion you're the person with a vision that wanted it to happen because you would have it and you feel like other people would have it and that predictions come true so in many ways i often think there's like it is a perfectly logical thing for the founder to take a role of chief brand ambassador call it CMO some people call it creative officer there's all those different things yep. but like realistically it is quite rare that that person's best place in the company is the CEO because they have the massive passion of the building part Yeah. Um. and you know when it starts to get big and process driven you know, it's not really the same kind of lifestyle you care about the product and customer yeah I've got a very good sense for what our customers want and what is the right thing to do,
0: but I've ne- not necessarily got the skills or the background to actually get it to happen. Sure. So I know what it looks like, I know what it should be, how it should behave, I know it should, what should happen. So then I give my opinion and then other guys make it happen.
1: Very fair. It's been a bit of a roller coaster journey, I guess, in between leaving a job and being the founder of a 220 million pound valued business. What are some of the worst moments? I think every everyday's pretty
0: bad sometimes. But that's the thing that I like about it. And this is what I was trying to say to somebody the other day. If you don't enjoy problems or grind, you're not going to be a good entrepreneurial founder. I think that, um, you know, every day, but they're they're the days you look back and they're sometimes the best days. So when you really, you know, when I was starting up here, you know, when that company let me down, that was one of the really bad days. I just thought this is done at this and just thought, you know, how am I going to get past this? You know, I've put a year into this and I haven't got anywhere. You know, you feel pretty soul destroyed at the time but the following day you get out of bed and start all over again. And uh, that sort of part of it, you know, I've seen one of these silly little graph meme things about, you know, one day you feel like a winner, the following day you feel like a failure, winner, failure, that type of thing. And it is that type of sense. And, uh, you know, even, even now we're well established, you still think every day it could go to zero. We, you know, we've been let down by a company recently. You know, we've had uh, some other technical problems in the background, you know, every day. And the problems are bigger now. So even though we're well established and you think that uh, things are smoother, the, the problem is just multiply and get bigger. So the worst days, yeah, quite often that happen. Every, not so every day feels like the worst day, but they're all pretty pretty tough sometimes.
1: Has there been a moment where you felt like you were going to give up yeah, on this journey? Types. Yeah, loads. What What do you do in that moment? <clears throat> I mean, are you the type to just sit around and mope and think about it? Do you go looking for support? No, I don't look for support. I typically just think, fuck this, I'll do it.
0: Um, there's... There's times when you just think, how are you going to get past this? But just, you just have to keep going. I think um, there's people who have done a lot harder things. So you think, well, if they can do it, why can't I do it? It can't be that difficult. And sometimes you think of just making a meal of it. So why don't you just crack on with it and get it done? Making a meal of it is obviously the Huel way. <laughs> and uh, what else are you going to do instead? You're going to go and work for somebody else. So you, you just think, I've got to get it done. And there must be a way to do this. You know, this is one of the sort of things, you know, you've got to go there's no point in going the direct route sometimes you have to go round it or go under it or go over it. you know you have to find a more innovative way to get it done and uh, you know just bulldoze your way through sometimes and i think um
1: yeah professionally speaking what has been the hardest day you've had at hill
0: i remember back at one christmas christmas eve i was putting all i was doing in the first sort of six months to a year i was doing a lot of the evenings you know because i had you know small team in the daytime that was doing sort of customer service and doing Facebook answers and fa- forum stuff but even evening, I didn't expect them to work we didn't have any cover so I did them all I can remember one day there was all these people on our own forum criticising us for doing something I just thought you guys are just being so you know we're trying to do the right thing there's lots of other companies out there you can criticise you shouldn't really be able to criticise us we are generally trying to do the right thing and so when they criticise you it's quite hard to think you know fuck you what you, you know so those are those days when people the internet is full of sort of trolls and people are not the nicest people so it can be sort of heart uh, soul destroying sorry so those sorts of days that is the day when you think well, what am i doing this for why should i do this if i'm going to get a load of criticism but you just have to push through okay what do you think you're going to do after Huel? Uh, somebody asked me this other day. I've got no idea. Listen, fuck that guy. We're <laughs> asking him fresh. I know you do not tell him, but you've uh, got to tell
1: us. What, what do you? He, there must must have there must be some things you look around in the world and be like, that is mind blowing. But I would do it slightly differently. And this is maybe how.
0: No, honestly, at the moment I'm just 100 percent in Huel. So I just head down. He's like, uh, you know, you said I've been doing a lot of podcasts lately. Yeah, but I suppose I've done five or six in total. And, uh, you know, typically I don't come to um, networking events. Don't go, I don't go to speaking events. I try to keep it to the bare minimum. The reason I like podcasts is that, I said earlier, they're scalable. So, you know, I can do one, I can give loads of answers hopefully in one of these sort of podcasts. And then anybody I get, you know, emailed or LinkedIn all the time asking me to give advice. Can you spend 20 minutes for coffee? Can you go, can you give me 15 minutes on the phone? No, not really go and listen to this podcast I, I give a lot of information in that so I, I like doing these but typically I, i'm just or somebody asked me to speak um conference the other day about uh new foods because so, i've got no idea about anybody else's i don't know what anybody else is doing in the industry i'm just doing my own thing
1: okay how about this the perfect way to end what are some of the most common questions you get asked on linkedin and answer them here on the podcast okay so typically people will say
0: um, how did you pick your category? And I suppose, you know, how did you pick the product you wanted to launch? Okay, Julian, how did you pick the product you wanted to launch? <laughs> well, it was a product that I realized I and my friends needed. So that's how I did it. They said, how do you create a great brand? So uh, I think a great brand, I think you have to start with a good name good logo so the visual identity is one part of the brand but for me it's every single thing that the customer experiences so it's the delivery box is the pouch is the way the pouch opens it's the email they receive it's the fact that we put a thank you card in it's our customer service when they answer is the right type of people so we you know it's every single little thing It's the it's the attention to detail that makes
1: a great brand i think what advice mm. have you been given on your journey that has been life changing for you? This is going to sound a
0: little bit weird, but this was pre-entrepreneurial journey. This was outside. This was this was actually a long, long time ago. I was I, when I was at university, I did work on a building site, and um, I was struggling. We were we were putting houses together like timber frame houses, and it was getting late in the day, and there was this, there was this big timber frame uh, panel came in and it wouldn't fit. So you know, you like all right, when are we going to get i We've got to get this done. And uh, and then one of the guys come over, he goes, and I was like struggling for ages to get this done. I couldn't get it fitted. And in the end, he said, look, if it don't fit, just force it. So he just oh. came over with a massive sledgehammer, just whacked it, put it in place, off we go, gone on. So ever since then, I've always remembered that. And I think when you get to a certain problem, you sort of sometimes can think, what's the logical way to get around here? How do you do it? Sometimes you just brute force. You just got to push straight through. And um, that's quite often getting things done, sometimes very simply, just by sort of like, I don't know, calling for a new frame to be
1: fitted or cutting it down or making a new order. Just hit it with a sledgehammer and get it in. Nice. And surprisingly, this is usually we usually get a different answer by asking this. It sounds like it might be the same, but what advice would you give to entrepreneurs starting up? And I guess especially ones in the the food and drink category. Uh, there's lots of advice. I've read a little bit on my... Um, Instagram the other day there was somebody
0: asked me how do you become a millionaire and so sort of the same sort of advice would 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 follow the first thing you do you've got a bloody start a lot of people don't start if you don't start you're never going to get there having some sort of it depends on what your objective is though so my have some sort of clear clear objective for what you're trying to do so my first business was make money sure was to be proud of doing something so slightly different ways you'd approach stuff. I think um, for Huel, being mission base is very good. Cause it gives you that sort of north star you're going after, and you know what you're doing. And I think having that big mission, is on nearly every wall of, in our office, helps recruitment, helps uh, attract customers as well, and gives you that sort of, you can't deviate and go into new areas. And um, But I think sometimes you're just going at it harder than you think you need to. So put more effort in. You need to become obsessed in the first 18 months, two years, you need to be 100% in, you know, you say no to all events, you say no to going to agencies come and see me, you know you you know, try and get totally into it, then you will see every single problem, be your own customer um, your own user, you know, use the product day in, day out and then you'll experience what the problems are with it, you know what needs to be fixed, direct to consumer I think was really beneficial for us, so you get close to your customers as best as you can, so people say you know go out the building and meet your customers we didn't need to it was online they're always coming to us so i did customer service for a long time i did all the facebook answers in the evening for probably 18 months um forum you know you just get really close to your customers i think they're super super powerful because you can see the problems and you can iterate a lot faster a lot faster you see
1: that problem fix it fix it another problem fix it fix it Instead of like a short, snappy answer, we literally got a Bible of how to build a brilliant brand. So thank you very much for that. Julian, it's been a pleasure to get you on Secret Leaders. Thanks for coming in. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do.
2: Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips, and tricks.
1: Told by leading names in sport and beyond.
2: You know what it takes to get to the very top.
1: There will be two episodes each week, packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow.
2: Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app.
1: Next week on Secret Leaders. The ultimate vision is to be able to sate your curiosity about anything in the physical world at the moment at which you're looking at it.
0: The secret of our success was that we knew nothing about music. Whenever we heard songs, we'd be like, what is that? And that's how we came up with the idea for Shazam. I blame my business partner. He would hear the most popular songs and go, I have no clue. I'd love to find out. What if I could use my mobile phone to identify music?
1: That was Jess Butcher from Blipper and Dheeraj Mukherjee of Shazam, the founders of two of the most visionary companies ever produced in the UK. One that went well and one that sadly didn't. This was actually our first ever live recording of Secret Leaders, and at the time, Blipper, a pioneer in augmented reality, was still going and valued at over $1 billion, and Shazam was in the running to be sold to Apple. It's a really pertinent and valuable reminder to all entrepreneurs that no matter your perceived success at the time, the journey is long and full of surprises. At the time, Jess had left Blipper already, so the fate of the company was out of her hands. She's since started a new brilliant company, reimagining social media called Tick, which you can check out at tick.done. D-Raj exited Shazam to the world's biggest company, Apple, for £400 million, and now spends a lot of his time advising and investing in startups. And next week's episode focuses on how you can come up with such visionary concepts and take them to market for growth. It's innovation, at its finest, only on Secret Leaders, so tune in or you'll miss out. We hope you enjoyed this episode. It was brought to you by me, Dan Murray-Serta, producer, Rich Martell, editor, Harry Morton of Lower Street Media, and marketing by Hannah Russell of Mag's Creative, and stunning visual design by our talented designer, Christina Nauru of smartupvisuals.com. You can check out show notes, transcripts, and our upcoming live events on our website, secretleaders.com. If you've not yet, please hit subscribe, leave us a review, tell a friend, take a screenshot of this episode and add it to an Insta story. I mean, you know what to do. And tag us at secret leaders or at Dan Murray Serta. And we'll add you to our story in appreciation back. Rich and I put together secret leaders for free because we love our day jobs as entrepreneurs. But every time someone takes the time to share it, it means a lot to us. So don't forget, it's the little things like that that keep us coming back every week and every year into the studio. See you next week.